You're listening to the SWAT Agronomy Podcast, the show for people who leverage the latest in technology to solve agronomic problems. If you're interested in on-farm application of precision ag technology, you've come to the right place. Get ready as we unpack the insights and experiences of the agronomic minds leading our industry forward. Today on the SWAT Agronomy Podcast. That's not a very expensive tool. It's literally your iPhone or your phone, for example, and just taking pictures every six meters. And how that itself is able to obviously get all these pictures and there's a lot of smart people out there that are taking these images and making up algorithms to find out, okay, well, in that part of the field, that's where those weeds are. And that's going to be a way that I feel that we can really prove to the wider population that aren't farmers or are on the farm that, look, we, we need these chemicals to be sustainable in a way that we don't have to go back and till everything, but we're putting them where we need them. We're not putting them everywhere. Saskatchewan farmer Josh Lade joins the show to talk about precision weed control, his experience with the SWAT cam, and harvest weed seed management. If this is your first episode of the SWAT Agronomy Podcast, welcome. My name is Tim Hamrich. I'm a communications consultant, an ag tech geek, and the host of this show. I partner with the SWAT Maps team on this podcast, and we hope that you'll join us as we explore where the latest in agronomy meets the latest in technology. Josh Slade is our guest today. He farms along with two other families north of Saskatoon, where they raise wheat, canola, peas, lentils, and barley. You're going to notice from Josh's accent that he didn't grow up in Canada. He's from Kangaroo Island in Australia, where he was raised on a sheep and seed potato farm. He says, though, he's always liked the machinery aspect of farming, and it was when he came to Canada over 12 years ago that he also found a keen interest in the technology side of the business as well. It happened here, over here for sure, because where I grew up, we didn't really have too much in the way of like latest technology when it comes to seeding equipment or harvest equipment. And I, I think what really opened my eyes coming and working on this farm here is a um, very good progressive farm that was often had the latest technology for seeders that had the ability to say, let's do some variable rate, for example, so being more site-specific with our input needs. So the machinery had it, but we didn't have the information to put into it. So that's really probably what really drove my innovation for technology around this was on our farm, for example, was just bridging that gap between, you know, finding the right information to put into these controllers to then allow us to go and be a bit more site specific and use our resources a little better. So I think that was probably it, Tim, when I first came over here, just because of the fact that a lot of these farms across the prairies, just through access to technology or just the way the good farmers often have the equipment ready to do it, just not necessarily the information to put in it to to really take it to the full level that it's capable of. And for you, when you first thought, okay, if I can figure this out, we can use the site-specific technology we already have, you know, inherent in our equipment. What did you think the payoff was going to be? And has that played out the way you thought it would in terms of like, what was the reward at the end of like figuring all this out and sort of has that, uh, has that happened? Yeah, for me in the early days there, when we first started playing with it, like I guess where we first started for me was when I was driving the Cedar in those early years and, you know, we're in an area where we do have, you know, quite a few acres that 
to have some subsoil constraints that are sort of well alkali is definitely one or just area of the fields maybe sandy hilltops or just stuff that really like i know it can be fixed but it's super expensive but forever and a day we were just blanket rate applying on these areas you know kind of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result but it wasn't happening so that was probably where i saw real low-hanging fruit on our farm it was really in these alkali areas so i tried making some maps for myself trying to outline these areas but it just didn't really work out because the, the rate changes were too fast and the drill was freaking out i just couldn't get it to work and then we tried more of a satellite approach to it but i found that those images year on year were changing drastically and it's like this doesn't make any sense so then we started very small on a half section with uh, crop pro consulting and i felt that that was kind of where it's at i, I like that the cost of that for what we were getting was very good so that was where we started and was more just identifying the five percent of the acres on our farm that just wasn't producing due to alkalinity or like salty stuff or salts in general and just not applying there and the reward was instant so that was the first one was just identifying these saline areas and just not putting fertility there the next one was a couple of years later and it was through once again crop pro on their smart farm just looking at the use of sulfur generally sulfur is applied to canola for every four parts or five parts of nitrogen you need to put one part sulfur and that was just happening for years you know just that's what you did and their smart farm was showing and through the zone mapping that we were using through crop pro that a lot of these lower regions in the fields like a lot of the zones say seven to ten had a lot of sulfur just because of sulfur is very mobile in the soil so it moves much like nitrogen so it was ending up in these lower areas of the field just due to water movement. And we had come through a lot of wet years uh, in the early 10, like 2010, 11, 12, 13, were quite wet. And we were still growing some really good crops and still putting a lot of nutrients out there. And it was through their smart farm because they, they went and did trials, like strip trials through this farm of like zero sulfur and, you know, whatever. But obviously the hilltops were showing some sulfur deficiency. But all these low draws were not. So that was a big one for us too, was just, wow, look at all this sulfur that we don't necessarily need to apply in these regions. And that, that, that once again, basically paid for a lot of mapping, to be honest with you, in, in about a year. So that, that were two massive ones for me, Tim, on, as far as you know, bringing technology to the farm. Just because we, we did have the cedar, we did have the technology, like the, we had the drill capable of doing it it was just getting that information in that's fantastic yeah no the sulfur one's really interesting i mean just it makes so much sense now as you look at things today is there anything you suspect you know that this mapping that you're doing and the variable ray application that you, you could find further efficiencies kind of in similar ways that that you're just not quite there yet yeah still continually looking well we're we're, we're not just varying our nitrogen and sulfur, obviously, the phosphate as well is something that we vary through the drill. Another one that's really opened my eyes too was just varying uh, seed rates as well. CropPro have been really good at 
you know, we'd go and do our seeding and, and they've got lots of data in their own database just looking at, you know, what, what seed rates we might require on different parts of the field based on the zones to get a more of an even establishment. And then they would come and check that too. So you would seed and then they'd come and check. And once again, that's, that is, if you've got the drill that's capable of doing VR, that, it's really easy to do. It's just the machine does it for you. You still work out your average rate of maybe it's, let's just say we're seeding wheat and the average rate is going to be 125 pounds per acre based off TKW or whatever you're trying to hit, 30 plants per foot, up to you on your certain farms. But, you know, it's it's obvious that we were finding that maybe some of our hilltops were just struggling to hit that. So we'd push the seed rates a bit more on the hilltops, but realizing in some of these lower areas, that we didn't need all that seed. It, it was almost too much. You get too many main, just single main stems and it'll all fall over. So lowering the seed rates in those areas gave us more robust plants that could stand better. So I've seen that. And, and also I think it's definitely helping us with our just getting a more even crop too, which is always the goal, especially with crops like malt barley. If you can get a nice even malt barley crop, then it just makes harvest so much better. You're not you know, thinking you need to run out of there with a swather, more of a chance to go and direct head it, which is always a win for us if we can direct head malt barley. Seems like every time we put in a swath, it wants to rain, which then becomes a problem. But yeah, so there would be one, Tim, is just just basically varying seed rates. It's quite easy to do and, and going back and checking and just seeing what's happening and just keep updating that database on our own farms is one there. But I could talk more about another one that we're playing with as well, Tim. Oh, absolutely. Please. So the other one that I'm really quite excited about is where CropPro have got their SWAT cam, which is literally just a uh, a phone, really, uh, that's bolted on the sprayer. As our sprayers make passes across the field, it's just taking pictures as you would if you're out there scouting, you know, and, and standing five feet off the ground, just snapping a picture every six meters across the field. So it's turning into a like a massive database of information of pictures and the people behind the scenes there i guess that's with Croptimistics, i believe and and those guys are starting to make some algorithms to you know identify weeds and where they're residing in the field and and just one example of i'm not sure if this is the right thing to do or not but i'm just going to give you this example that we've done this fall we've got an area on our farm that we desperately need to get a pulse crop on it it does have a bit more alkali on it so we've been a bit hesitant to do such a thing and it's been pushed the boundaries have been pushed on it's been a lot of canola a lot of wheat some barley so we thought well this year we've had a few dry years a lot of it's starting to dry up a bit so we're going to put peas there but it does scare me a little bit due to the fact that there is quite a bit of kosher around the place and you know we've got like group two resistant kosher that's literally everywhere and we've got a lot of group nine resistant kosher coming in now as well which is, you know, not great. So what we're able to do with this SWAT cam, like traditionally, you know, you talk to anyone that's been involved with the crop pro system, they'll often, we, we might start talking about where weeds are residing and, and especially kosher, for example, will often sit in those lower regions of the field where often the salts are accumulating as well and kosher loves it when nothing else wants to grow, kosher will, and it just grows great. So what we did is using the SWAT cam data, they have an algorithm that they've played with to try and identify where the kosher is. So from all those pictures, from that, the sprayer went over that field a few times and we picked the best one to try and identify where the kosher was. We've used that data to then go and make a variable rate herbicide map because what we are planning to do is like normally we would just spray 
sulfantrazone, so like an authority product after seeding just to really suppress that that kosher. But I get really concerned because we're only really using one active mode of action there on that kosher. So, you know, and that that's sort of a $17 an acre product to spray where another product that's really great on kosher is um, Edge, but it's expensive. You know, at the correct rate, you're looking $25 to $30 an acre for that. So we thought, well, how about if we use the swap can data and we put the edge out in the fall here and we, we just went and put it out on all the areas where our SWAT cam showed us that we had a high population of of kosher. So that's what we did. We did it this fall. So the plan is the edge has gone out on basically 25% of the field in all the areas where it's a real problem. Now, um, there's obviously going to be kosher seeds across the field, but the one thing with kosher too is that it doesn't compete that well if there is a crop growing. So we've just gone and put it in all those lower areas or areas where the SWAT cam were finding the kosher. So that way we can have a group three out there and the group 14 as well. And then we're still going to have the group 14 across the whole field. So I don't know. I just feel like let's see how that's going to go. I feel that that's a real win because generally, obviously the best thing to do, Tim, would be to get those two active modes of action across the whole field. But you're talking almost 50 bucks an acre in two residual herbicides. So, you know, it's hard enough to get to even think about spending 20. So I'm really excited, Tim, to see how that's going to go. That that just makes a ton of sense, and and especially given the amount of resistance uh, that you mentioned. Uh, I also know that you're you're working on, or you have been utilizing another technology when it comes to weed management, and that is kind of managing the weed seed bank through this. Is it called the the seed terminator? Is that right? Can you can you maybe talk about that technology for somebody who's never heard about it, and then share about kind of how it's uh, been working for you? Yeah, you bet. So it's an Australian invention. Really, the whole notion is around harvest weed seed control. So that's literally trying to at least do something with any weeds that are being collected by the combine. And it, and it is very obvious that the, the combine is very good at collecting weeds. If they're there, if they're captured by the header front, as the combine does, like its job is to separate our crop and separate it from the straw. Well, obviously, weeds are no different. Like They have a straw component and they have seeds. And if the combine's doing its job perfectly, it would collect all those weed seeds and put them in the grain tank and then you export them off to the elevator and then that's fine. They're still being exported off the field. We're not you know, adding to the seed bank, but the reality is it's not the case. There's lots of research to show that a properly set up combine, like 90% of those weeds will you know, exit over the back of the top sieve in the chaff component and then just be spread back out on the field, you know. It's sort of we're rewarding the survivors, you know, and it just seems crazy. So what this hap- what basically these chaff mills are doing, or narrow windrows, or chaff carts, or whatever, is it's just collecting the chaff proportion, not the straw, just the chaff, and that's where you need to be careful that you are paying good attention to rotor loss because you're not collecting those weeds or you're losing grain, which isn't good either. But it's just collecting the chaff component and putting it through a multi-stage hammer mill and turning all that into flour. And there's lots of data to show that if you can get a lot of these weeds, even as small as a kosher seed, through these hammer mills, 98, 99% of them are dead. So that's what we've been working on too. We've been using these machines since 2018. So we've had a good four harvests now. With them, we've had our ups and downs. Like it's definitely not a silver bullet, but you just heard me speak about 
this whole idea of using this technology on the herbicide front and putting chemicals, you know, more site specific. But I would never recommend doing something like that personally. But you can go and do whatever you want on your farms. But the only reason I feel somewhat comfortable doing that is the fact that we do have this harvest weed seed control play coming at harvest time. So if we do have some escapees, we've at least got another hammer that we can throw at it. Because the last thing I want to be doing is, you know, selecting for resistance and not doing anything about those weeds that are presenting at harvest time. So not that we're going to get them all, but that's what I love about this harvest weed seed control is that the combine is making that pass across the field. It's got to. It's got to make every single acre. We've got to go get our cash. We've got to go get our crop that we've grown. It just seems crazy to me that if there was a chance that we could collect some of those weeds and then put them through the combine, and if we can't get them in the grain tank, but then we just spread them back out, it's just like, oh, we, we really have kind of rewarded them. We haven't even dropped them in a row so they'll compete with each other. We're actually doing our utmost best to spread them the 40 feet or the 35 feet with all that straw so we don't have to harrow or whatever. But we're just rewarding them. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good play at just being that last kick at the can, really, before the end of the season. Right. And the combination of the two, of, of the kind of harvest weed seed uh, management plus the precision that you've adopted, you know, have you noticed, you know, over time, uh, significant differences to the bottom line? Yeah, for sure. We've, to run these mills on our farm is roughly costing us around 5 to $6 per acre. And that's all obviously going to be very dependent on how many acres per combine. And we probably push our machines a bit. Uh, so you can't even spray a three-quarter of a litre of glyphosate for that. And I know glyphosate literally is getting a lot of the weeds, but it's not getting them all, and neither is this thing. But what we're finding, Tim, is that we're, we're probably being a lot more site-specific. Like we don't generally spray like a broad acre wild oat spray on our cereal crops. Just two reasons. We do have a lot of our wild oats under control. Um, and also just I find that those chemistries can be quite hard on the crop and it does cost you some yield. So we'll go out and spot spray them. We'll just go spot spray a lot of our wild oats. And just on that, like that technology is coming, you know. I know that, for example, a SWAT cam isn't really capable of, of that because it's sort of, it's not real time. But there are sprayers out there like Sea and Spray John Deere or Bilberry Trimble with, with Agrifact or, you know, this this stuff is coming where, people are working on this technology where they can start identifying weeds and, and spot spray them. So there's going to be some huge chemical savings there, but I feel that it's still going to come at a, at a risk of miss because we already know that we get misses with a blanket application. So if you're going to start spot spraying, to me, those chances of miss will be somewhat higher, but maybe not you know, crazy higher, but still, if we're still getting misses with a blanket application, you know, you can't tell me that spot spray is going to be better than that. That's where I feel that if you're going to invest in something like that, then put some of that savings into your back catcher and, and harvest weed seed control on the back of your combine. Just to, at the very minimum, Tim, is that I know, you know, these harvest weed seed control techniques are only as good as the weeds that you can get into your header front, which, which happens. Like weeds are going to shell, they fall on the ground. But then if you can keep them in their patch, you know, that's where SWAT cam comes along and can keep identifying these patches and, and we can go be site-specific with what I just spoke about before with EDGE and just putting that chemical 
on where those weeds are. And another low-hanging fruit would be the same thing with Abdex. Go put that where the wild oats are rather than the whole field. That's where I can see some real big cost savings, but I just, I just feel that if you're going to start being play in a patch management type of idea, there is the chance that we're going to obviously miss a few patches. But if we come through with that combine, pick up those weeds that, that didn't shell out, because the ones that shelled out will stay in their patch for the most part. The ones that didn't and they're still present in the crop canopy, you know, if they don't make their way through the sieving the, the area, through into the grain tank, those ones that go in the grain tank, well, they're going to get exported. That's good. But the ones that don't have a chance at running around in the return system. And you just need to look up some work by um, Steve Shirtlift. It was part of his PhD and he, and he, he studied uh, just how a combine can move wild oats through a field, you know, because they get stuck in that return system and then they go around and around. And they get, every time they make their way through that return and re, re-threshing system, they do enter that top sieve. And if they don't fall through, there's a chance that they could fall out the back of the combine. So anyway, long story short, the combine is great at spreading weeds. And if you have some sort of harvest weed seed control there, that technique, at least I feel that that really limits the spread of these patches and you can keep you know, managing weeds or well, generally just weeds, I guess. You can keep playing with that patch and monitoring it. But I'd be a little worried to do too much without something on your combine because I feel that there's a chance if you miss, you're just going to keep spreading the patch, if that makes any sense. Yeah. No, it makes total sense. And, and zooming out just a little bit, you know, with you, you farm with uh, a group of other people. Um, I know you are very engaged and in, in keen on adopting new technology. But as a group, how are you all evaluating the kind of influx of potential technology to make sure that you know what's going to work for you and, and what's worth sort of the risk? Because anything new is, is going to come with some risk. Yeah, for sure. For the group of us, because as I said, I farm with John and Janice and their son Raiden. So Raiden and I are well, I'm 36, Raiden's 30, and obviously John and Janice are older. And so when it comes to technology, that's really not John's thing, that's for sure. But that's where I guess he probably saw the value in someone like myself and I'm sort of right into it and Raiden as well. So the way we evaluate it is I guess we we always try and start small. Like even if you look back at to the the VR of variable rate nutrients like you know we're a sizable farm and we just started with a half section and we we did that for a year saw some real benefits so we doubled it and we kind of just did that for a couple of years went say a half section to a to 600 to 1200 of our worst acres and then we evaluated that using a product called climate field view which was really awesome because it it could bring in our um you know, our seeding information. It had our harvest data there. And in those first years, often we would just split fields. We'd just blanket rate this side, VR this side, and we'd just check the yield. And, and it's pretty easy to go and figure out your cost production on that side on a blanket application. We knew what our average rates on the VR. So just using a data platform like Climate Field View for us was key just to uh, manage these trials. I guess when it comes to the harvest weed seed control one, that's a little bit more tricky just because it's hard to get real instant gratification from it because you really are working with seed banks with the evaluating the vr fertilizer stuff it's pretty obvious once harvest is done you can see the yield you know what you put in you can do some numbers like okay that made sense or maybe it didn't whatever 
But with this product, like we could see some obvious benefits when it comes to the volunteer control. You know, because if you've got a bunch of volunteers, well, then that's just wasted money. Like we shouldn't be throwing that sort of grain over. But still, it could show what this thing could do. And then the one that we did, we have done is we set up a little, it was just a little one acre trial plot with the governor of Saskatchewan. And they've just been monitoring this for years. And But then again, we went and set this up on our weediest, one of the weediest fields on the farm. It's only small. We had a, a strip with a machine with a terminator turned on and then off and then on and then off. So replicated twice. Weediest area, and we actually didn't apply any herbicides for three years on that spot. It was obvious by eye that you could see, you know, a reduction in weeds, but still there were still weeds there, you know. But that's the thing, we're still dealing with that seed bank. I just think to me it just makes sense. You know, if anyone out there, you're driving that combine, you often hit a real weedy patch. Look at your returns. If it's not plugging up, it's going crazy. Like they're filling up and that's where it takes a while for that return system to finally clean out. And every time that it's making a loop, those weed seeds that are blocking that up are hitting that top sieve and they're getting a chance to exit the combine again. So to kind of give us confidence in this system, in this whole idea of harvest weed seed control has literally been, okay, at the very minimum, it's going to slow the spread of our weed patches and we can still continue on these ways around managing our patches of weeds with, you know, site-specific target of chemistries. And that's probably where for my farm partners has, has been, okay, yeah, this makes sense just because like economics, you know, we've, we've been able to cut back on some of those uh, more expensive herbicides, often the herbicides where you're trying to kill or control, you know, grass weeds in grass crops, they're quite expensive and they're hard on the crop. Or controlling broadleaf weeds and broadleaf crops, they're quite expensive herbicides and can be hard on the crop. So we're trying to limit those and use those in areas that we need. And another one too, I guess, Tim, where I kind of try to justify this expense in harvest weeds to control in a way of like limiting some of the use of these expensive chemicals that are hard on the crop is just by strip trials, you know, and we'd spray some of these chemistries out and once again, using our field view, we'd, we'd go and check the yield differences. And basically, I've done this for three or four years, and it, it's basically been a 7% sort of yield loss every time is what I've found. Every time, whether we're harvesting 22 bushel wheat in a drought or 75, it's been around you know 5 to 7%, and that's enough for me to continue on. Fantastic. Well, Josh, let's let's put some kind of – Final punctuation on this episode. Anything, any take-home message you'd like for a group of farmers and agronomists that are interested in precision ag that might be listening to this, uh, or anything that you, you know, we didn't touch on or you'd like to go deeper on? Just some way to sort of round out the episode. Uh, and I'll, I'll leave it that open-ended for you. I would just say it is really the technology that really excites me about farming. I love going to the, you know, the farming conferences that get often put on here through the winter time and listening to innovative farmers speak and I remember one talking about it's like the 80-20 wall. You don't don't necessarily try to get all the way, but try and get 80% of the way. And I guess what I'm trying to say there is I feel, especially when it comes to precision ag, just try like and don't feel like you need to um, do it all. Just try a, a, a little area. Start small. Don't be afraid to, you know, look at different providers or what what might work for your farm. Start small, and but make sure you um you analyze it though, and do do some split trials. Figure out for yourself what's going to work best on your farm, and 
just on that, I just feel that it, it is, like I said before, it really is the technology that really gets me going and I, and there's more coming, you know, actually as far as spot spraying with, with sprayers, that really excites me just because, you know, chemicals generally are getting a pretty bad rap for the public perception on them. And I realized that we really need them to farm sustainably, but do we need to be plying them on every single acre? It, it's apparent to me that that's not the case. But it's we haven't had the technology there to to find out where these weeds are. You know, we obviously you can go walk your fields and you can have your agronomist out there and I'll say, Yep, you know what, on that quarter section you should throw in that wild oat herbicide, but don't worry about these ones. But that's what's opened my eyes using the SWAT camp system with, with Croptomistics is that that's not a very expensive like tool. It's literally your iPhone or your phone, for example, and just taking pictures every six meters. And how that itself is able to obviously get all these pictures and there's a lot of smart people out there that are taking these images and making up algorithms to find out, okay, well, in that part of the field, that's where those weeds are. So well, this stuff's coming hard and fast and that's going to be a way that I feel that we can really, you know, prove to the, to the wider population that aren't farmers or are on the farm that, look, we, we need these chemicals to be sustainable in a way that we don't have to go back and till everything, but we're putting them where we need them. We're not putting them everywhere. I think that's definitely, you know, one thing to be watching on any farmers out there who are looking at, you know, what technology maybe to get into. That's definitely one that I feel will have some great return. But in saying that, I'll just be a little bit, keep an eye on the harvest weed seed control space too, because I I really feel like with all this technology that's coming on the spot spray type deal, we, we need to be careful of, you know, what do we got just at that last line of the fence just to make sure that we can have a shot at capturing these weeds and doing something with them before they get spread back on the ground. Well, huge thank you to Josh Laid for being on the show today. Really enjoyed that interview. If you're on Twitter, make sure you go give him a follow. He's at JJ Laid, just L-A-D-E, and I'll be sure to link to that account in the show notes. And of course, if you want to know more about SWAT Cam or any of the SWAT products just go to their website which is just swapmaps.com you'll find it all there well if you're finding value in this podcast please make sure you subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice and leave us a rating and review while you're there you can do that either on apple podcasts or on spotify and if you have any recommendations at all for guests or questions or topics please tweet them to us by using the hashtag swat agronomy